Let's take out our Bibles now and turn to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis 50. I recently concluded a series on the life of Joseph and my congregation of Covenant of Grace. We'll read Genesis 50 in the text for the sermon will be verses 14 through 26. The chapter begins with the dying of Jacob after blessing Joseph and all of his sons and the funeral and burial of Jacob in Canaan. The word of God in Genesis 50. And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, and the physicians embalmed Israel. And forty days were fulfilled for him, for so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. And when the days of his mourning were passed, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak. I pray you in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die. In my grave which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou bury me. Now therefore let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury thy father according as he made thee swear. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph, and his brethren, and his father's house, only their little ones, and their flocks, and their herds they left in the land of of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan. And there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. And he made a great mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Wherefore, the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with the field for a possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. And Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren and all that went up with him to bury his father. After that, he buried his father. This is our text. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. 
for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went, went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived an hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he, which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being an hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts and to our lives. Beloved, the providence of God can be a doctrine with which we wrestle before we come to find peace in it. Certainly, that was true in the life of Joseph. We're going to look at the verses, the last verses, verses 15 through 26 of the chapter in light of Joseph's confession in verse 20 of God's providence. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. We know, and Joseph did too, that the Bible, or that it is true, Joseph didn't have the Bible as we do, but he knew as we do that it is true that God has absolute control over all things and over every event in the history of the world. There is no creature that can move and no event that can take place apart from or outside of the will and decree of God. He determines even the evil deeds of wicked men and he uses all these things to accomplish his purposes in the salvation of his chosen people through Jesus Christ. But when Joseph said, God meant it unto good, as it is this day, that was not a merely dogmatic statement. It was not merely an assertion of truth. Joseph does not sit in a classroom or at a desk and study the scriptures to come up with this truth. As I said, Joseph didn't even have a Bible. All he had was the word of God to his fathers, 
and the promises of God that were spoken and revealed to his ancestors and that had been passed down to him. But Joseph speaks concerning God's providence in the context of the experiences of his life. He makes this confession as a believer. He makes this confession in response to the difficulties and extreme troubles that he has gone through in his life led by the hand of God. This truth matters to him in very practical ways. Instead of Joseph becoming bitter and vengeful and attempting to get back at his brothers, he forgives them when they truly confess their sin to him. Because he understands that though his brothers intended evil against him, God is sovereign. And he had a greater purpose in the events of Joseph's life. But I call your attention to the fact that this is not a confession that Joseph made immediately or while he was going through the trauma of being nearly murdered by his brothers, sold into Egypt as a slave, languishing in prison, forgotten, by all. This is a confession that he makes as he takes the long view looking back over his life. As with mature faith and mature hope, he looks at all the long and twisting road of his life through the lens of God's truth. He speaks these words to his brothers after their father Jacob has died. For 17 years, according to Genesis 47, verse 28, Joseph's family had lived in Egypt. His father, his brothers, their wives, and their children had lived in Egypt in the land of Goshen under the benevolent and merciful rule of Joseph. All this time he continued in his position as governor and ruler over the land of Egypt, carrying out the Pharaoh's will and providing safety for the land. When Jacob died, Joseph and all his brothers, as well as a host of Egyptians, took the embalmed body of Israel the long way to the land of Canaan, and laid it to rest with the bones of great-grandfather Abraham and great-grandmother Sarah, with father Isaac and mother Rebekah, with Jacob's deceased wife Leah, in the dusty and cool confines of the cave of Machpelah. This was Jacob's dying will. This was his final command to his sons that he be buried with his fathers in the land that God had promised as a testament to his faith in the promise of God that his descendants would be a great people and their possession would be the promised land. 
And then Joseph and his brothers had returned to Egypt. And that's where our story begins. Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. These words remind us that even though we all need to prepare for our own deaths, the pressing question is often how to get through life. And these words of Joseph's brothers show that guilty minds and hearts have difficulty receiving grace. When we drift from our mission, which is to live by faith in the promises of God, now looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, when we drift from our mission, which is to fight the good fight of faith, to trust in God, we often drift toward fear of man. We need the gospel, as Joseph's brothers did, to reorient us to God and his salvation in Christ Jesus. We need the reminder that this text gives us that though others imagine evil and do evil against us, God means it for good. So let's consider Joseph's confession of God's good providence. Joseph's confession of God's good providence. We'll notice first the brother's guilty fear. Secondly, Joseph's comforting response. And third, God's saving purpose. Joseph's brothers speak to him the words recorded in verse 15. Rather, they send a messenger to him with these words. And before we get to whether these words are actually a fulfillment of a command of Jacob or not, we need to understand what is going on here, what these words reveal about the inner state of Joseph's brothers. What these words reveal, first of all, is that they are still dealing with the guilt of what they had done to Joseph. Even though 17 years have passed as they have lived in the land of Egypt with their families under the benevolent rule of Joseph. Even though Joseph has showed them every kindness, they still feel extremely guilty for the evil they have committed. All of the old worries resurface and bubble to the surface in their hearts and souls. Had Joseph truly forgiven them 17 years before, Or was he simply biding his time for the perfect opportunity to pay them back for their old crime? Now that their father is dead, they fear the worst. They judge Joseph by themselves. And they're thinking the only reason Joseph has been kind to them these 17 years is because their father was still living. And because of Jacob's presence and Joseph's respect for the person of his father, 
Joseph avoided causing a disruption in family unity. Now their father is dead and his bones buried in the land of Canaan. And they imagine that Joseph hated them. As long ago they had hated him and attempted to murder him and sold him into slavery. They feared that Joseph's benign smiles, kind words, and generous attitude would give way to Joseph using the powers of his rulership to take his revenge. Their words reveal an irrational fear. For 17 years, Joseph had taken care of them. For 17 years, Joseph had shown them nothing but kindness. How could they forget? As chapter 45, verse 5 says, when Joseph revealed himself to them 17 years before and said, Now therefore do not be grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. These words had been followed by Joseph's tears as he fell upon the necks of each one of his brothers individually and personally and wept over them and spoke kindly to them. Genesis 45, verse 15, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them, and after that his brethren talked with him. How could they forget the call of Joseph to them, to their wives, to their families, to their father Jacob, to come out of the land of Canaan and to come into the land of Egypt and to live under his good and loving rule during the remainder of the famine. Genesis 45, verses 10 and 11. Thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children and thy children's children, and thy flocks and thy herds and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. In an Old Testament form of read my lips, Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis 45, verse 12, Behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks these things to you. Words of love and reconciliation. And then Joseph had given, had done things to back up his words. He gave great Egyptian wagons to convey the family to Egypt. He gave 20 donkeys loaded with necessities for the journey and the luxuries of Egypt. He settled his family in Goshen as he had promised. And there they flourished. Genesis 47 verses 11 and 12 Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded, and Joseph 
nourished his father and his brethren and all his father's household with bread according to their families. For 17 years, Joseph had taken care of his family. But all the while, apparently in the back and dark corners of the minds and souls of his brothers, there lurked the nagging fear, born of guilt, that Joseph meant them evil. So afraid are they that instead of going to Joseph themselves, they send a messenger to him. According to verse 15, they, they said Joseph will hate us and will certainly requite us or take his revenge for all the evil we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shalt thou say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. That's their message to Joseph. And the question comes up at this point, was this a lie or were they telling the truth? And it's quite clear from the context of the story that this was a concoction. In the context, we read repeatedly that as Joseph and his brothers were burying their father in the land of Canaan, they were carrying out his commandments. They were fulfilling the oath that he had taken of them to bring them, to bring his body and to bury it in the burying place of his father's. They carried those things out to the letter according to the last will and testament, as it were, of their father Jacob. And now the brothers are saying to Joseph, our father gave us a commandment to command you to forgive our sin. Another reason that we can conclude this is a lie is if we go back to the very beginning of the story of Joseph in chapter 37. After the brothers have sold Joseph into slavery, they take his ornamental coat and they dip it in the blood of a slain goat and they tear it. And then what do they do? Genesis 37, verse 32, they sent the coat of many colors to their father and said, this have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. They send a messenger to their father with a lie and leave him to draw his own sad conclusions. Now their old patterns resurface, and they cannot even look Joseph in the face as they tell him their lie. 
Beloved, without making any judgment about this, the Bible's recording history here. This event shows us what human beings do when left to themselves. Or what regenerated believers do when they live out of fear and not out of faith. They do not recognize grace when they see it. But they resort to their own devices. The brothers' guilt, their false judgment of Joseph according to themselves, and their irrational fear that arose out of their guilt gave way in their minds and produced in their lives irrational, messy, and twisted attempts to correct things according to their own wisdom. But however twisted their plea, the brothers were communicating to Joseph in these words, and Joseph heard them saying certain very specific things to him. Joseph heard them saying particularly three things in their message, which will lead to the comforting response that he speaks to them. First of all, he heard them openly confessing their sin. Look at the words that they use in verse 17. They call what they had done to him, their hatred of him, their envy of him. They're throwing him into a pit. They're selling him into slavery for gain, for money. They're covering of that of those wicked deeds for a long time. They speak of that evil very specifically in this text as trespass twice. A trespass is a deliberate overstepping of the bounds laid down by the law of God. A deliberate breaking of his commandments. They call what they had done to Joseph sin. Which as you know is to miss the mark. To aim away from the glory of God. And the honor of God's name. And to aim instead at our own purpose. And our own glory and gain. That's what they had done. They envied Joseph because he put his dreams, especially put them in the shade, his dreams that his family would bow down to him. They hated him. They threw him into a pit and then they sold him for their own earthly gain. They sought themselves at the expense of the life of their brother and at the expense above all of the glory of God And finally, they say that what they did was evil. 
That word refers to the moral or ethical quality of something, that it is bad. That's what it means. It's bad. What we did was bad. It was evil. It was morally wrong. It was corrupt and perverse and twisted and disgusting. They don't mince words about what they did. They don't hold back and use mild and indirect language. They don't call their sin a mistake or a misunderstanding or a lapse of judgment. Furthermore, they identify that they sinned against Joseph. Verse 17 They did unto thee evil. They didn't say we abused our position as your older brothers to to do something that we shouldn't have done. They clearly state that what they did was intended to destroy the life and welfare of their brother Joseph. They sinned against him. They make a full confession of sin. And then they ask for forgiveness. Forgive us. Forgive us. Twice a cry from guilt-ridden hearts for pardon from Joseph. For a declaration that he does not hold against them the guilt, the liability to punishment for what they did, and that he does not intend to exact from them the punishment that they know they deserve. But that as they come in full confession of their sin, he will graciously pardon and forgive. They do not step forward demanding it as a right. They plead for it as a mercy. And finally, Joseph hears them speaking as believers. He hears their full confession of sin. He hears their plea, not their demand, for forgiveness. And therefore, he hears them speak as believers. Because they pray, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy Father. They identify themselves as God's servants. They confess that God is the God of their father, of Jacob, the faithful God, the God of covenant mercy and promise. In these words, although they come in a very twisted way, although they come in the language of a lie, Although they come giving evidence of fear in the hearts of the brothers, Joseph hears an expression of godly sorrow for sin. And if you compare this confession of Joseph's brothers with the characteristics of, a, of godly sorrow given by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 11, 
This is what you see. Carefulness, that is deliberate laying out of what has been done that is wrong and that is sinful. Taking full responsibility for what has been done to another. Joseph hears his brothers in their guilty plea, asking for forgiveness as they confess their sins. And that is why, beloved, Joseph responds with grace because he receives this testimony as an evidence as far as he can judge that true repentance has taken place in the hearts of his brothers. His comforting response begins with weeping. The end of verse 17, Joseph wept when they spake unto him. This is the ninth time in Genesis 37 through 50 that the Bible says Joseph wept. You can read through these chapters and find the other instances of that yourself. Joseph wept. The Bible tells us that real men do weep. That men show emotion, strong emotion. That men give out their voice in weeping when the occasion demands it and when it is appropriate to do so. Joseph's weeping is exemplary because at no time did he ever weep for himself. Did he ever weep out of self-pity or out of uh, uh, the fact that his life was not going as he had planned. That his purposes were being thwarted. Joseph wept for others. He weeps now because his brothers are afraid of him. Because they still come bowing before him. Treating him as a ruler and not as a brother. He weeps because he loves them. And he has demonstrated in every way that he loves them. And they have not received the testimony of his words and deeds. As a true demonstration of his heart. He weeps. Because his brothers have forgotten the gospel. Because they still feel estranged. And so after weeping, his first words to them are, fear not. Verse 19, Joseph said unto them, fear not. Do not be afraid. The words that every angel who appears in the history of the biblical record speaks to every human they appear to. And as the human is the child of God is surrounded by the glory of the Lord and confronted with the glory of God's majesty, the angel's word to them is fear not. I bring you good tidings of great joy. Joseph wants his brothers to know again that they have no reason to fear him. 
And so in verse 21, at the end of his words to them, he repeats the admonition not to fear. And his promise, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly to them. Joseph repeats the good news that there is peace between his brothers and him. But there is something unique about Joseph's forgiveness, and we see that in verses 19 and 20. He does not just look at his brothers and say, I've actually forgotten what you did to me. We'll go on from here as brothers, as though this never happened. Because that would be a lie. And it is something that is really impossible to do, to forget truly the evil that has been done. But Joseph gives his brothers two reasons not to be afraid of him. The first is in verse 19, where he says, Am I in the place of God? Joseph had every opportunity to play God here. The Egyptians already viewed him, in a way, as a God. If you read in uh, Genesis 47, verse 25, the Egyptians hailed Joseph as their Savior, the Savior of their lives and of their lands. Because he brought them through the famine. That's the kind of talk that will go to a man's head. Besides that, Joseph was still almost the most powerful man in the world. He was second in authority in Egypt. Only Pharaoh was higher than him. But the execution of Pharaoh's decrees and commands in the entire kingdom was Joseph's responsibility. He had every resource, financial, forceful, military, military, economic, at his disposal. He could have called 12 legions of soldiers and they would have wiped his brothers off the map. But Joseph stood before God. He had a clear view of God and therefore a clear view of himself. He had no desire to get back at his brothers. He understood that the righting of wrongs is something that ultimately belongs to God and that the righting of the wrongs done against him was not his to administer. the responsibility of the God who is always faithful. So he placed himself in God's hands and he showed his brothers where to look also. He confesses that God is the ultimate judge 
who knows the heart, who knows the secrets, and who knows the true intent. Beloved, how many times in our life don't we bring more trouble because we try to play God? We think that we understand justice and we make others pay for the evils they have committed against us and we justify it in the name of justice. We say that sin has consequences and beloved, that is true. Sin does have consequences and that is actually a part of the gospel. That sin has consequences and that we only have in life the consequences for our sin. Because Christ took away the guilt of them. When David confessed his sin through the ministry of Nathan the prophet. And he confessed that against God and God alone he had sinned. And Nathan said to David, the Lord hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Nevertheless. The sword will not depart from your family. That was the gospel to David. That was good news. David deserved to be dead and damned. Instead, he would live. And the sword would not depart from his house. Sin does have consequences. And those consequences are a mercy. But like we so often do, we invert what God intends and what God uses as a grace and make it a weapon against those who injure us. An excuse or a cloak for our own motives of revenge. Romans 12 verse 19 says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And it does that in the context of admonishing believers to live in a gospel cycle of confession, of repentance, confession, and forgiveness in their horizontal relationships with one another, in their families, and in the church. Joseph had no desire to play God in the lives of his brothers. They had no reason to be afraid of him. The second reason Joseph gives for his admonition that his brothers are not to fear is that he believed in the providence of God. He believed in the sovereignty of God over evil. And that evil is not something that God simply allows to happen. Or that happens outside of his control. But that God weaves evil into the tapestry of his people's lives in order to magnify the grace and the power of his saving purposes. Joseph says, as for you, 
ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Notice, just like his brothers, Joseph doesn't minimize their sin against him. He doesn't say, now, you use some pretty hard language in your, in your confession. I don't think it was quite that bad. It was due to a misunderstanding. It, it was actually nothing. I've gotten over it. He agrees with their assessment of their sin. Ye thought evil against me. Ye meant to do me harm. You meant to sacrifice me for your own selfish gain. You meant deliberately to transgress the commandments of God, to take away my life, to take away my place. If it were possible to shut me out of the covenant of God. He agrees with his brother's characterization of what they had done to him as evil. He experienced their intentions as evil towards him. As he was sold as a young man of 17 into slavery in Egypt. As he lived, not knowing from one day to the next what his life would be like. As he was framed by Potiphar's wife. As he was unjustly imprisoned for something he didn't do. As he was forgotten in prison. As he was elevated to the powerful position that he held in Egypt. But all, with all the difficulties that that position brought him. In an evil country and an ungodly nation. He experienced what his brothers had meant to do to him as evil. Their deeds of a day affected him for a life. Those closest to him, his own flesh and blood, meant evil to him. And it was completely unjust. Ye thought evil against me. For your part, brothers, you did. But God. Beloved, when, I won't say whenever, but when you see those words, but God, in the scripture, that is the revelation of the gospel. The good news begins with the bad news of human depravity. But the good news is that God means the same deeds that men intend to be harmful. To work not only a lifetime, but an eternity of good. Remember when Joseph first revealed himself to his brothers 17 years before. I read these words. He had already confessed this to them. 
Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, Genesis 45, verse 5, that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. And now he repeats that confession. And he says, God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. He sees God as sovereign in the evils he had experienced. In his mind this day, his brothers and their evil are not the most important thing. But God and his saving purposes are. Joseph explains God's saving purpose to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And perhaps we think first of all of the fact that had Joseph not been sold as a slave into Egypt and interpreted the dreams of the butler and the baker and then and interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh when the butler remembered what Joseph had done two years before in Egypt, and Joseph elevated to the position of power in Egypt, that many people would have died through famine. And that's what we think of when we, when we read Joseph's words, to save much people alive. And that's true. God did use Joseph as his instrument to save the land of Egypt. Not because of that land. Certainly not because of the goodness of its people. Or because he intended to Christianize that land. Or, or because somehow Egypt would become a shining city on a hill for the world. But because Egypt would be the place where God's church would be incubated. For 400 years until the time was right for God to deliver his people and to lead them in triumph to the promised land. To show his power upon Pharaoh and to save his people through his mighty hand and by his stretched out arm. But when Joseph speaks of God's saving purpose, he has primarily in mind God's purpose of salvation. The spiritual salvation of his people. The preservation of Joseph himself. But also the salvation of his brothers. For now, they heard again the declaration of the salvation that God had worked for them. They had been transformed from self-centered, ungodly, wicked, and evil men who used their own brother for their ends who sacrificed the honor of God's name to their own 
evil purposes. God had saved them alive through the instrumentation of their brother Joseph. God had brought them to repentance and confession of their sin. And God again declares to them the gospel through the lips of Joseph. Why did Joseph have to go through all that he experienced? Why did he have to experience the hatred of his brothers being sold as a slave at 17 years old into a foreign country, the isolation from his family, imprisonment? Why did he have to go through all of that darkness? God meant it for the salvation of of his people, Joseph's own salvation, the salvation of his family, the salvation of the entire church of God. God was not a supporting character in the narrative of Joseph's life story. God was writing the story according to his own eternal plot and plan. Joseph's confession is the Old Testament form of those words that are very familiar to us, that sometimes are quoted to us by people who mean well, but don't understand the depths of the pain of what we suffered. Or by those who have suffered and who are reminding us in our need of a truth that they have learned not in an ivory tower but in the twisting and uncertain pathway of the life God has led them. Romans 8 verse 28 we know that all things work together for good for the good of those that love God, of those who are the called according to his purpose. Joseph knew this truth. We know that this is true. And we know in a far more glorious way than Joseph did because we not only see Joseph's life in all of its, in its entirety and see how God worked in his life. But we see Jesus. Jesus who was taken by wicked hands, crucified and slain. Jesus who was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God for our salvation. When you understand God's saving purpose, beloved, it changes everything. Maybe not in the moment. Joseph says, at this day. It may take time to get to this day. 
But when you truly believe this and understand this, you will learn that the troubles of life are part of the marvelous painting that God is working. That the shadows and the blackness are as essential to the whole as the light Joseph's understanding of God's good providence not only enabled him to respond to his brother's genuine confession of sin with gracious forgiveness and pardon, but it also allowed him to die in peace. The grace of God to him was that he lived to see his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren, according to verses 22 and 23. To see the covenant promise of God continue to bless his descendants through their generations. And finally, to die himself at 110 years old. When Joseph's time came, his words were filled with faith. Faith in the God who had led him his whole life unto his dying day. Faith in the promise and presence of a God who is faithful, a God who is sovereign, a God who is Father, a God who would send a Savior. It's striking, beloved, that the book of Genesis begins with God creating the heavens and the earth out of nothing, the triune God doing his marvelous work of creation. And it ends with the bones of a man being put in a box. No clearer reminder that the wages of sin is death, that unto that dust man is, and unto dust he shall return. But God, that was Joseph's hope, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of Egypt, and when he does, you take my bones with you and bury them in the land of Canaan. For 400 years, Joseph's bones spoke to the enslaved Israelites as they toiled, as they suffered, as they wondered when God would fulfill the promise that they believed, but that they saw no sign of coming to fruition. As God led them through a dark and hard way, at the mercy of the Egyptians, under the groaning burdens of Pharaoh, until that day when he showed great and mighty wonders upon Pharaoh and visited his people in an amazing and miraculous way, bringing them out with strength like an army ready for battle delivering them 
in an exodus and beginning to lead them toward the promised land. During Joseph's life, he had to suffer immense hurt and disappointment. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. This, beloved, is the heart of the gospel. The life, death, resurrection, ascension, and sitting at the right hand of Jesus Christ is the clearest expression of this. Christ suffered far more in his life than Joseph ever did, than we ever will. Because all that Christ suffered was not only at the hands of man, but was attended with a sense of the wrath of God against the sins and guilt of all of his people, all the evil that we intended against God and that we intend against one another. But God meant it unto good. And he has brought to pass, as it is this day, the salvation and preservation of a people for his glory. Beloved, remember Joseph. Study his life. But look beyond Joseph to Jesus. the greater than Joseph. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God when at last he visits us in the final coming of his son and leads us in a final exodus to our true and heavenly Canaan. Amen. Our Father in heaven, We thank thee for the life of thy servant Joseph. We pray for grace to rest in the power of thy fatherly sovereignty. To confess that thy purposes for us are always good and that by thy, in thy wisdom, all things are used for our salvation. Lord, in whatever troubles we experience, give us to believe this and comfort us so that we may comfort others through this thy word. In Jesus' name, amen.